0: Good afternoon. This is Tuesday, February twentieth, twenty twenty-four, three thirty p.m. We're here for a special meeting. I get a roll call, please.
1: Seven council members are present.
0: Okay. We're going to be discussing the twenty eighteen uh, edition of the building code, and then a uh, permanent base adjustment. Um, and after that, we will re- return for our five thirty regularly scheduled council meeting. That being
2: said. Thank we'll you. Be- Good afternoon, Mayor Dimico, council members. Uh, this afternoon we're gonna spend some time talking about the building codes and then we'll talk about the permanent base adjustment so two separate discussions uh, so here we are to talk about the uh, building codes Uh, way back in 2012 (coughs) we started this discussion with a workshop at the time with the City Council and it was unanimous uh, for the city to move forward with the modification of the building code so as you can see we've been working on this for nearly two years now <clears throat> not moving fast at all in fact moving very slowly on something that a number of commercial uh, general contractors uh, in the industry have asked the city why are we still on the o is that question has come out many many times to our building department and we'll be talking to you about that today so Kingman Lake Havasu Mojave County Clark County and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of communities across this nation of ours have already adopted the 2018's. Why haven't we? That can be a very critical comment to the city. Why are we so far behind on our building codes? It's life safety. That's why you have those. You're protecting life, property and the people who build homes and buildings. Well, the twenty sixes were adequate, have been adequate uh, for quite a long time, but it is now 2024 it's time that we have this discussion and our recommendation to you from this workshop until it comes back to the City Council in a month or two or whenever we're ready to do that uh, will be our recommendation will be to adopt the 2018 uniform building codes so this afternoon we want to talk to you about that go through some slides and and Billy and his team Wendy Dallas will talk to you about the building codes answer your questions any ramifications Um, but we'll also talk about what the community, the development community, um, for the most part, the vast majority of the development community uh, is in tune with this, and we'll talk about the workshop we had, uh, the fact that uh, we met with developers and contractors, and some of them may be here today to also speak their opinion. So I'll turn it over to Billy Billy and his team to kind of walk us through the presentation, but feel free to ask questions at any time.
3: Good afternoon, Mr. Mayor and Council Member. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, present you with the 2018 International Code, of uh, Building Code, I'm sorry. Uh, like Mr. Carter said that the last time we updated on the Building Code was 2008, which is fi- over 15 years ago. And everybody else in the state, and the, in fact I could say the country, has moved forward up to 2018 or 2021, but the reason we uh, suggest to stop uh, to adopt 2018 because that was the majority of the city and town and county adopted in in, in fact the state too, and that's our suggestion that we, that's the year that we're going to move to. International Court Council who the one who uh, developed this project do not give out any certification tests earlier than 2018 so if you' 2006 and my inspector want to become a mechanical electrical plumbing or even in the building cannot have any test for 2006 everybody moved forward to 2018 so the test is 2018 and I think it's the it kind of finding that we We have to study two books right now, in fact, 2006 to do the work and 2018 to do the certification. So that, that's the thing. And state of Arizona mandate fire department to adopt 2018 fire code. So for any plan that have to do with commercial, we cannot do IBC, which is building code for commercial on on 2006, and then try to work with 2018 fire codes, and that's not the way it worked. So that's one thing that the state mandate fire department, and that's what uh, Patmore, the fire chief, asked me, "When are you gonna move to a 2018?" When I said, "Well, we're working on it," and that's what happened. Um, and my team is Wendy Lewis, she's a senior panel reviewer and also admin for the department, manager for the department, and Dallas King, who is just got to become plan examiner. She was a p- certified permit tech. Now she also certified plan examiner. So any question that you have, we will love to answer. Thank you.
0: I, I just have one question. Is it not true that you now someone new goes to get their contractor's license, they're going to be tested on the 2018 standards?
3: For um, the state?
4: Actually, the Registrar of Contractors, they kind of have their own test that they go by. Most of their items are like administrative, that you're you know, an ethical person, uh, you know what the rules are, they're not so much um, building code driven.
0: Okay. Anyone else I have any questions? I had a question.
5: So Billy, uh, what are the jurisdictions in Arizona are currently on the 2006 code, if, if any?
3: I don't believe any of them. So,
5: so Mr. Cotter, we're dead last. I,
2: I don't know that to be a true. true. And if if there's a small city out there somewhere in Arizona, I mean, they have the same issue that we have. Eventually, everyone needs to adopt new and more current building codes. We know for a fact we're last in this county. You know, we're behind Kingman, Havasu, Mojave County, Clark County. So the builders who would generally build in our region are are not using 06 codes. They're using 18 or 21 codes. Yeah, I agree. So, Billy, there's a reference in several sections
5: here to something called the violations policy and then the fee policy. Is that mm-hmm. changing or is that... We didn't change anything.
4: No, the violations are done under code enforcement. Mm-hmm. So we're not proposing any changes to those sections of the code and the fee is adopted under a separate it's the comprehensive fee schedule and that's done under a separate adoption Um, we're going to be requesting a 1% um, permit fee increase across the board for permit fees Mm -hmm. Um, but we're not changing how we calculate those fees or um, generating any additional
5: fees okay so none of that's in here and then Billy the 2018 code there's no green mandates in this correct
3: they do have green mandate but we do not adopt it because it's very small amount of contractor that are willing to go that extent to meet all the requirements to become the green building builder okay
6: Just a quick question, Billy. Uh, yes. Is the 2018, is that the latest edition? Or is there, because that's
3: like six years almost already. Is there anything newer? or, or we No, really that's new? not the latest. But most jurisdictions will not adopt the brand new one because there's a lot of work a few years first. So it, after the 18th, is 2021. And now 2024, that's the next edition coming out. But most jurisdictions, like I said, try to work with the one that they uh, used to for a few years before they even think about going to drop something newer. Okay, thank you.
7: I looked at this uh, particular code, and I looked at the one used in building our house about six years ago. And I do prefer this one. And of course, with most of the cities around us following the 2018, to keep things uniform and to make sure that when bidding goes out for certain things, and you're putting out a solicitation. You have uh, builders uh, throughout the area of, uh, let's say, the western part of uh, Arizona. Uh, as long as they're working to 2018, why would you want to bring them back to work at a 2000, 2008,
3: or 2006, whatever? Good question. That's like, uh, like I said, everybody else moved forward, so it's time for us to do so.
7: I'm definitely for this one. Thank you much.
3: Thank you.
6: Anyone else? Uh, Mr. Mayor. Billy, this may be for you or it may be for uh, Toby, but uh, there was some kind of a meeting held with our contractors. Are we going to hear more about that um, in your presentation, or
3: or would yeah. you like to tell me about it? We now? have the pre uh, meeting.
4: Yeah, it's part. I guess we're not going to do the presentation, but um, we had two meetings with contractors. One was on November 1st of 2023. Um, We had sent out invitations based on our business license software for everyone that was um, in the immediate area, Kingman, Havasu, uh, Mojave County, Fort Mojave, Bullhead City. Um, We had 40 um, RSVPs and 25 of the contractors actually attended the meeting. Um, We had a second meeting that was focused mainly for our pool builders and block wall fence builders um, we sent out to everyone that has a business license for those um, we had 16 RSVP and actually had 13 show up to that meeting and then we attended on November 9th uh, chamber of commerce their breakfast meeting that they have and um, there was probably maybe 10 people there and we presented the adoption there. Um, The majority of the, just talking to the primary general contractors, the majority um, were in support of the code. We did have one or two that expressed (coughs) some concern about doing any code adoption change. Um, And then the pool and fence contractors were very, the fence contractors We're very proactive. Um, Years ago, we had eliminated the need to get fence permits, um, and they were saying, and we've noticed it too from our end, that um, it's creating civil matters between neighbors because fences are being built without knowing where property lines are and with no inspection. And also, we're getting a lot of unlicensed um, fence builders that are building a lesser quality product so um, we brought the idea to them and they agreed and we spoke with Toby and he agreed that we would bring back the requirement to have fence permits which we used to do and then just a few years ago we thought well you know it's really not necessary but it turned out that it really is. (laughs)
6: So if you if you can, and then maybe you can't, but can you summarize those that had a concern with moving to this new code, uh, what their issue was? Or was it just, we don't like change? I, I mean, help me understand that, would you? Um,
4: there was some, just the general requirement was they would prefer not to make any change, just, you know, um, there was a fear of, maybe it costing more money for the customer, that they would have to pass that along. Um, There was some concern because the 2006 (coughs) and the 2018, some of the design, the engineering criteria has become apples and oranges. So in the old code, they used one calculation to calculate wind speed, and now they use a different calculation. So our wind speed which used to be in the 2006 at 90 mile an hour because it's a basic wind speed. If you looked at the chart that was in the code book, basically the whole country was 90 mile an hour except for along the hurricane areas. The new code book has done grid lines all across the country based on like um, historical data from NOAA and other or, you know weather related organizations. So now our residential wind speed would be 115 miles an hour which sounds like a huge difference but that's the ultimate wind speed calculation versus a basic wind speed calculation and you can anyone can do this. Go on Google and say convert 115 mile an hour ultimate wind speed to basic wind speed and it comes right back down to 90. So it's just kind of how they calculate run their calculations through their software. Um, I would say 99% of the engineers use software to do their design, very little that's done on paper and pencil. So, um, you know, as these organizations advance, the codes have to advance to keep up with their methods of design. The other thing is the energy code. Um, If you The the US Government Department of Energy is very proactive wanting everyone to go to like the green energy or the ultimate energy conservation. If you build that building, it's a very expensive building and um, you have to have blower door tests that are certified, which we don't have anyone in our community that is, so you have to bring somebody out of Vegas. Um, We've researched that. That's several hundred dollars. Um, Some of the just you know, it makes a lot of sense if you're in maybe Vermont or it's very cold and very damp or, you know, but here we found that most people um, are going well with what we're doing now. So what we did in the 2006 is we eliminated all the, what you would call mandated high energy, and we just strictly went with, okay, we want energy efficient windows. And we want good insulation, and th- that's where we left it. Now, if you have a builder that wants to advertise that, you know, I'm a super energy builder, they're more than welcome to do that. Now, on the commercial side, um, we had adopted the commercial energy code. To do that, you have to do run your building through a software product that the government owns. It's called um, ComCheck and it takes, it's a a big learning curve to run your building through that. You basically need to be an architect or an engineer to do that. Um, We had a group of community people that owned the bigger malls, the strip malls, um, Colorado Place, Red Leeds Buildings and said, hey, this is costing us so much money to replace a light fixture. You know, you have to have all these extra special things. So the council at that time eliminated the entire energy code for all commercial construction. And we found that your big builders like Home Depot, um, Lowe's, Walmart, um, Ulta, all the big ones that have come in, they're self-regulating. They want an energy-efficient building, they have their architect design it that way, they submit the ComCheck documents with it. Um, But the little guy that owns the little 500 square foot little business, he doesn't have to do all that. So that's kind of how we moved forward with this code was the commercial, we don't check anything and we leave it up to the builder, not the builder, the applicant, the owner, to make sure that their design meets their energy efficiency expectations. And the residential, we stayed with just the um, insulation and the windows. Now, if they want to build a better building, they're more than welcome to do that. I don't know if that's too much information. That's that's
6: exactly what I was wondering is, is, uh, we talked to our local contractors, what is, and if they're opposed, what was their, you know, what was their opposition? And and from what I'm getting from you is their opposition was change. And none of us really like change, but if all of the rest of the entities, including county, cities that we're in the same area with have gone to this new code, I would think it would be detrimental to us to stay with the old code Simply to not change, we want to kind of be like everyone else, so that a builder who builds in Havasu and Mojave Valley and Kingman or wherever knows what he's getting into before he walks through our door. So that was what I was trying to to understand: is what kind of information did you get from? And right. that was very helpful. Thank you. And the new
4: code does add some gimmies too that are are nice, like right now for your shear walls. It um, doesn't really affect RV garages, because they have to design an engineer anyway. But say you want a boat-deep garage, and you want to be over 35 feet deep, then you have to have these little interior wing walls. I don't know if you've seen houses out in the community that you're like, why, that's stupid. Why they put that little wall there? They're going back into it with their boat trailer. Well, you can't go more than 35 feet without mm-hmm. some wall support. In the new code, you can go up to 60 feet without an interior wing wall. There's also um, new designs for residential um, decks and balconies to address. I don't know if you've heard on the news, you know, um, failures where people have um, passed away from their sun decks and their decks falling down. So it gives a prescriptive design to build a a better deck and um, it allows different things. So there's good things and I think our biggest pushback was well, if we just stay with the 2006, somebody can always build a better house. But we just think that for consistency with what the other communities are doing, because um, Lake Havasu, City of Kingman, Mojave County, um, Clark County are all under the 2018 code. So we would like to be consistent with them and all of our bigger commercial entities that are coming in. Um, they can't even draw their plans to the 2006 because they have to update to the 2018 for the fire code anyway. So for several years now we've allowed the commercial contractors to use the 2012 code because that's what the fire department was on so now we would allow them to use the 2018 and we have because we've already had some buildings that have come in so we're kind of forced to let people build that doesn't match our adopted code because it's just they can't do anything else
2: and vice mayor if i could add on to what you said i mean you're absolutely correct it's, it's that issue plus the fact that what billy described that we have a staff who's very busy with a whole bunch of new homes coming in you know one or two a day commercial buildings new garages additions all these things that we're dealing with and the vast majority of them want to build to the 2018 or higher standards i mean so why do we have to consistently have our staff trained on all of these codes and then go back to the 06 is and find where that little uh, you know requirement can be found versus being all on one book being consistent with those that are building not just in Havasu but just outside the city limits in the county why would we want to have this big swing well only because a few contractors are saying we don't want to change I mean that's the reality and it's the it's kind of harsh talk here but We've, we've accepted that and we've been very generous. This is a pro-business community, pro-builder, pro-contractor, and we've given them, literally since the 06s, 2024 now, we've given them all this time. So it's not us being anti-business, anti-contractor, anti-developer by adopting new codes. We've been so generous to our building community but that time has come to an end, in my opinion. We've, we've given them all we can give, and now it's starting to impact our staff when <coughs> the vast, vast majority of people coming in are not designing to the 06s. They're just not anymore. That's not the reality. And if someone tells you it is, come in and look at all of our plans. The hospital didn't submit to the 06s. Kale Ranch didn't submit to the 06s. Church's Chicken isn't going to submit to the 06s. Chipotle won't. Anything built down by Target won't. It's, just, it's not happening anymore.
6: What about Trader Joe's? Trader Joe's <laughs> will build to the 2018 or higher. Just checking. You got it. Thank you, Tony.
2: Yeah, and, and I realized there are a few people who came to the meeting and wanted us not to change. That was said back in 2012 when we started this. It's been put in writing. It's been put on Facebook. It's been said at contractors' meetings. And the reality is we have to do our job and tell you the facts, right? Tell you what's happening, not just our own personal opinions, but the fact is what Billy, Wendy, and Dallas are seeing are plans every day submitted to the twenty eighteen codes. And so they're becoming experts, but they also have to remain experts on the O sixes. And then we have to start asking ourselves why are we still doing that? It, it's it's been too long. Thank you.
0: Any other questions? All right, are we gonna do a presentation and then we'll go to the
2: audience? Yeah, I think Billy, Wendy, I mean, we had the presentation, Mackenzie did bring it up. If you wanna fly through it or it's up to you, Billy. we don't have to. I
4: think we covered, you know, we were just kind of gonna explain the International Code Council versus. Could you just do
2: that real quick, Wendy? Let's just walk right through it quickly. For the public's information as well, for people who may not exactly know what we're talking about. Let's just give the brief presentation.
4: Sure. So um, I was gonna introduce myself, my name is Wendy Lewis, I'm the Senior Plan Review Administrative Manager for the Development Services. I will be here 30 years in May. Um, Billy Chunium is our Development Services Director and our building official. Um, The department includes building, planning, code enforcement, business licenses, water rental and safety, short-term rental um, registration, so we're very, a floodplain and economic development, so we're a very busy department. We have, uh, next slide please. Um, today we were gonna represent or present uh, the code adoption packet. Um, there's a lot of um, abbreviations that are used, so uh, we just wanted to clarify that. The International Code Council is the nationally and some internationally recognized um, code adoption organization um, it's not a mandated code we have um, when i came to work here it was the uniform building code and then you had a southern building code and a northern building code so we changed that um, i'm sure you're all know johnny lawera he's our planning and code enforcement manager he's a certified floodplain manager, and that's with the Association of State Floodplain Managers, so that's administering the FEMA floodplain um, process. Um, Then there's also, and it's not on this, it's the NFPA, which is the National Fire Protection Association, they write all the fire codes, but they also ICC, the International Code Council, does not write an electrical code. That's always been by the NFPA and it's known throughout the community as the NIC, the National Electric Code, and they always run a year. All these codes update every three years, but the NEC, because it's a different organization, they'll say their current code is say the 2017 and the I codes are 2018. That's why there's a year difference between the electrical code and everything else because it's a different organization that writes that code. Um, Next slide please. So um, that again talks about every three years the codes are revised or updated and that's to allow for new materials, new technologies, products and uh, correct issues that have been problematic or found a danger in the past. So sometimes if you have a big um, event It could be a hurricane, it could be a fire. Um, That's how codes get changed. The other way codes get changed is companies develop new products and they'll bring their products to like UL or ERS um, that are national testing agencies. They'll get those products approved and then they'll take them to the code and say okay, instead of doing this, then you can have this alternate product. So they have to kind of add those alternatives into the code to give you some options as they're developed. Um, Next slide, please. So um, in July of 2008, the city adopted the 2006 code edition of the International Code Council construction codes with the 2005 National Electric Code. And so we've been using that code successfully for 15 years. And um, the most current code out that's available is the 2001 edition of the I-Codes, but we're suggesting the 2018 because that's what Maccabi County has adopted, that's what Lake Havasu City has adopted, that's what City of Kingman has adopted, and so we feel like that's the easiest for the contractors to, if they're building in the county and building in the city and building in Kingman, that they could submit the same set of plans in general. I mean, we all have our own little works on that. So, uh, next slide please. And then the Arizona Office of the State Fire Marshal, they have a state fire code. Arizona, Arizona, some states like Utah will have a state building code. They take the I codes, they tweak them, California does the same thing, and they come up with their own code. Arizona doesn't do that. We're kind of like a home rule state, but the fire code, every fireman is under fire department is under the same code, and right now it's the 2018 um, fire code. So this would also bring us in line with that, which would, would solve a lot of problems for us. Uh, next slide, please. Um, architects, engineers, other design professionals, they prefer to use the most current codes, mainly to protect themselves, um, and then also so they can use new materials. So Currently, almost all the commercial projects that would require an engineer or an architect to design, they're asking to use the 2018. And so that should make it easier for the local design professionals to be consistent with the surrounding jurisdictions. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, so to implement this change, what we did is we reviewed the codes, and it took quite a bit, because as you can see, I don't know if you can see behind here, we got, it's a lot of books. It's you know, it's you know, it was a lot to read, so that it did take us a bit of time. Um, we made our code adoption presentations to the local contractors, and um, generally, they were all supportive. We just had a few that voiced concerns, and we've already kind of discussed those items. And then. Um, Staff did make a few revisions to clarify some things, because some people had questions that, you know, they just wanted it in black and white. So we addressed those items. And then we'll adopt the final adoption to council at a future meeting. Next slide, please. And then once adopted, um, our current plan would be to have the code become effective on July 1st of 2024. any permit that's already issued under the 2006 code, or um, in plan review, they would have a year to finish that project. Um, if they have an ongoing project that's going to take more than a year to build, say they have a huge custom home, as long as they're showing active progress, we would never say, "Oh, okay, well now you have to start over and get your plans redone." Um, if they let their permit expire for more than a year, then we would consider it abandoned, which we would anyway. Right now, we would let them just renew it, um, but we would consider it abandoned, and then they would have to update their plans. Now, I'm sure it would be done on a case-by-case basis if, if somebody came in and said, well, I only need a final. I'm sure Billy would work with someone. We're, we're not out there to try to make people you know, lose their investment. Um, So that's the end of the presentation and then kind of just how the codes worked, like in 1997 we were under the Uniform Building Code and then we went to the 2003 International Building Code, the 2006, so there's been a 2009, everybody skipped the 2009, there was a lot of issues with that code, nobody wanted to adopt that code. Uh, The county and Lake Havasu City, they all um, adopted the 2012. We let our commercial builders use the 2012 because, again, the same thing, the fire department adopted the 2012. Um, Everyone skipped the 2015 and went to the 2018 code, and that's what we'd like to do. The 2021 is active, and the 2024 hasn't been uh, officially um, put out in publication yet so we would probably adopt this 2018 and maybe then plan to go like every other code cycle instead of every code cycle just because you know it's a lot of investment of time and money and just the books in general so if did you have any additional questions that we could maybe go through the
6: i think we're uh Just, just one more quick question for Billy. You mentioned that um, people that are taking a test now for some types of certification have to uh, have to take the test based on the 18 code. Yes, sir. So, if they're if they're having to use the 06 code,
3: there's probably a chance for something bad to happen there, right? Right, I believe that international code council just banned
7: in 2006 for now. Okay, let's say that. Yeah. Mr. Mayor, I got one question. Uh, You mentioned that if somebody started construction under the 2006 code, they had one year. Now, due to a shortage of materials or unable to get materials for the completion of the job, would they be able to get a waiver to extend that year?
3: Yes, sir. As long as they continue their work, every time they call for inspection, we extend the permit six months.
7: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
6: Uh, Mr. Mayor, one more question. So, what percentage of the code is going to change? Like a hundred percent, fifty percent, compared to the old one? Can you give me like a percentage? We don't do that. Um. Some things will stay the same.
4: Yeah, a lot of it is very s- the same or very similar. Um, the amendments that we made, we tried to to make amendments um, to make it similar to what we're already doing now. So um, I would say the biggest change would be, um, like I said, the design wind speed and the energy efficiency and... um, Yeah, yes, yeah, so
3: yeah. about eighty percent. Because most the of these about amendments percent, are the
4: same that amendments that we had made to the 2006 code. We tried because the, like I said, the codes are kind of apples and oranges now because they've changed a lot of the um, chapter numbers and they've rearranged some things. So I think if you took our existing code uh, amendments that we made and compared to To these amendments that we're making here it would be very similar some of the numbers would be different because they've renumbered some of the
2: code sections and one thing councilmember I could add to that is we've talked to some of the biggest projects that are coming in the city national home builders local home builders this will impact zero of their submittals to the city they're all looking forward to submitting multi-million dollar projects in the in the time to come none of this impacts their development.
0: All right, we'll open it up to the audience. Anyone have any questions or comments? <coughs>
8: uh, good afternoon, Mayor, uh, Council members. My, my name is Medea Zarmi. Uh, I've been a builder for 44 years. I'm 34 years in this area. Uh, we built over according to my office manager over 1000 that 1060 homes in this area tri-state tri-city area and uh, as you know i am in the county most of the time building my subdivision is in the county and uh, in the county uh, they do things a little bit different uh they, we do have a code advisory board which is consists of engineers and architects and uh, stakeholders that you know they review that so I was uh, honored to be the chairman of that code advisory board uh, on several different code adoptions including the 2018 uh, you know uh, IRC and uh, general code and again what we did is that you know we the way that I assigned it this book that you see this many pages and it's kind of scary but it is not uh, we subdivided into several different subsections and we had self-study just review it and then find out what are the uh, sharp corners because again uh, for your information uh, this code is one size fit all and it doesn't make sense like for example if you are building a home in Michigan and you're building a home in Bullhead City it is not the same you know there are, there are differences that you have to consider so uh, these codes are basically like a guideline and it is basically designed To be presented uh, to the uh, communities and the building uh, you know officials and for them to be able to review it and then you know find out uh, what are the applicable items that it basically goes to like you know the safety and and make sure that you know the integrity of the construction and for that reason uh, it took us about good, good you know four months you know to basically go chapter by chapter section by section and we had a lot of notes that was not applicable in our area or uh, from the feasibility portion of it it was not applicable I can give you an example that in the code was saying that you have to put a lock on your uh, exterior air conditioning unit so the kids cannot get high on it I mean that's something that you know was in our opinion that was stupid To be able to do that because that is not something that you know there are a lot of other ways that you know they can hurt themselves so why should you go out of your way to do that so just uh, elaborating on that uh, we went through the whole thing we had a lot of amendments and those amendments were shared uh, with also the city and they did the same thing they went through the amendments and they took a lot of items that was not really applicable to our area out of the code uh, 2018 so uh in my opinion in code thousand, uh, 2018 is much uh softer even than the 2012 and 2006. Uh, we had uh, gilbert uh, samby who is the building official in uh, mojave county uh, hire uh, or work with a consultant to do a cost analysis between an average home be the 2006 versus 2018 and the cost difference was only $100 on the average. So, I mean, you can see that, you know, uh, there wasn't much of a, a, you know, hardship to anyone. I mean, if you consider uh, from 2021, we have increased our material costs by, in my opinion, in my uh, project, $60,000. So $100 is, you know, immaterial in that, you know, factor. Uh, The other thing that, you know, uh, we talked about, as uh, Toby was mentioning, you know, yes, we had some contractors that, you know, they showed up in our meetings and they were asking about, well, you know, we don't know what is in it. Well, uh, after we finished the whole project, we asked them, you know, to, you know, join us and find out what it is. And we gave them actually two to three weeks' time to study and find even if there is any, Item in there that they would be able to, uh, you know, be controversial or would be causing uh, hardship to any uh, end users or you know builders and all like that. Uh, there was none. There was nobody, you know, in there to, that they were able to actually uh, come out and say that there was a problem with that. So in my opinion, uh, in my opinion, uh, City of Bochum City uh, should have done this many years ago, uh, not now. But you know, now is better than ever uh it is not a you know uh, creating any problem for any builders i build a lot of homes and i've been building with 2018 and i can assure you that you know it is not going to be any issues for any end users nor uh, for any of the contractors that are building under this code so uh, i don't know if you have any specific question because i know i had a little time
0: uh, yeah actually the timer Around ran a problem with the timer. You we, we, we time, we actually went over on time. But, um, so if that's all, we appreciate your comments. And anybody have any questions for Eddie? Right, thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thanks, Anyone else from the audience? Yeah. Okay. Bowie.
2: Thank you very much. So our next item uh, that we'll be talking about, and before I go on, as as was mentioned by Wendy and Billy, so you'll see that item come back at a future meeting. We're thinking... The next meeting or two and then implementation wouldn't be until July with again a very um, generous offering for any new projects so you'll see that in the near future so Travis is going to present on our permanent base adjustment our ael Travis
9: thank you Toby Uh, good evening uh, mayor council Uh, can, can we get the slide pulled up thank you thank you Uh, the item before you tonight is permanent base adjustment and to put it in the simplest terms a permanent base adjustment is an adjustment to the uh, the city spending limit that's set by the state Uh, the reason why we're looking at a permanent base adjustment is mainly just to align that limit more so with our growth and how the city's kind of uh, what it's become and moving forward so next slide please um, let's see. So, let me, before I really get into this, uh, uh, let me give you a little background on how we kind of arrived here. So, this, uh, the spending limit that I mentioned, the state set spending limit, this was uh, the law that kind of made it happen, uh, originated back in 1979, 1980. State legislator, uh, legislature came together and said, you know what, we should probably look at putting some limitations on the spending for all cities. Uh, Towns and uh, county governments, so they did implement this law and some of the some of the uh, Some of the items that are associated with it is it is a spending limit on cities count uh, cities towns and counties as I mentioned Um, But that limit it's set it was set at that time so 1980 that limit was set and then it adjusts each year a little bit for inflation and also population growth um, I should also mention that this limit can only be adjusted permanently to a different level by going to the voters. So that's an aspect of what we're talking about tonight, is getting uh, permission to move this forward and let the voters determine if, this should be, if the spending limit should be adjusted. Um, another important item to mention is now Robert, uh, our finance director, he's worked really hard to make sure we don't exceed that spending limit. Um, we have a lot going on, um, so it is, it is a bit of a challenge. But he's made sure and he continues to make sure we don't exceed that because one of the aspects of it, if you do go behind uh, beyond the spending limit, there are penalties associated. So the state will start looking at your revenue, your sh- state-shared revenue, and start pulling some of that back. So, But again, as I stated, Robert's done a fantastic job tracking this and making sure we don't exceed it. Um, the other thing of important to note, now keep this in mind, there are some exemptions to uh, what goes into or impacts that spending limit. Um, loans um, and also grants are totally exempt. So those are important things, and uh, make note of that. And we'll talk a little bit about a little bit more later. Uh, next slide, please. Now, this slide, I want to spend some. I want to spend some extra time on this slide because I think this is an important slide and really kind of uh, telling you why we need to uh while we're bringing this forward so what i'm showing you here is the formula that determines what our expenditure limit is or our spending limit what you can see is that uh, top number that's listed as the base five million four hundred and ninety three dollars and five hundred and thirty or five hundred thirty three dollars so five million four hundred ninety three thousand five hundred thirty three dollars that is our base so that number was set in 19, when we became a city in 84. They said that's what it takes to run a city, um, if you can believe that. It's a lot higher now. But each year, they, they add a little bit on as your population grows. Five so million. they find out what the population growth is. And then they add a little bit more for inflation. So they multiply that all together. And then you get your expenditure limit, which now is $60,178,000 thousand eight hundred thirty one dollars so that's how you arrive at this now the reason it's important I wanted to spend a little extra time on it, is because this formula would work perfect if all we did is added more people and added uh, a little bit of inflation the formula would work perfect the reason it doesn't work perfect is the cities don't grow like that they actually um, one of the things that they found out is as you started adding things like technology, you get computer departments, brand new departments. So a lot of the cities started seeing problems, I think, right around the early 90s. They started bumping up against these expenditure limits because you're adding things that aren't being accounted for. Hence, if you add something like a brand new water company, no, there's nothing in our base that accounts for that. So that's that's kind of the challenge that you start to face as you... Uh, start to push up against these spending limits. Next slide, please. So the next slide kind of lays out the expended limit versus some of our expenses. And I wanted Robert to kind of uh, chime in here a little bit and give us a little more detail on this. Robert, if you don't mind, can you speak to this slide?
10: Yeah, not a problem, Travis. So the small bar graph on the left there, kind of in the orangest color, That is our expenditure limitation for the last year that was just over $60 million. On the right, you see the bar graph of all of our different departments and cost centers and capital uh, improvement projects, and we have about $130 million in expenditures. So this is where it kind of gets into, Travis alluded to, grants, uh, debt service, and other things are excludable from the cap so we make 130 million dollars of expenses fit into a 60 million dollar cap. But that does not go without a lot of planning and and forethought into what type of expenses we're doing like going after grants as Travis talked about before.
9: Yep. Thank you Robert, appreciate it. And as Robert mentioned, a big piece of that, yeah, you, uh, as you start to exceed that that cap, yeah, we're going to always go after grants, but loans are excludable so as you know as you know um, we have had to get uh go out and take out loans and bonds to kind of make sure we could get everything done but still manage it within that spending cap with those exclusions excuse me so next slide please Um, so what are we going to do what are the options what are the solutions how do we move forward so of course in the short term we're going to continue to go after grants we'll always do that the challenge with grants is the timing can uh, sometimes you know it may not align with our budget cycles Um, and then also grants you never know whether you're going to get them or not so you can't necessarily plan your expenditure cap based on grants Um, loans yeah we can continue to take out loans it's definitely an option Um, We've done it in the past, but the challenge is always you got to pay the interest rate on a loan. Now, we were very uh, successful in this previous time we went out and got a loan to make sure we're under the cap. We kind of managed that in a way where we invested it in uh, Treasury notes to kind of offset some of those borrowing costs, but I don't think the economic climate is going to be that way for a long time where you can get those high rates on those T-bills to offset those costs. Um, But um, it is definitely an option and something we'll continue to consider in the short term. Now, long term, um, of course, the way uh, the option to do, uh, you can do a permanent base adjustment to kind of address this and then you move your uh, spending limit up to align with what your actual revenues are and uh, what you agree to in the budget. Uh, or you can do the home rule option. And I'll talk a little bit about the home rule option is um, on uh, future slides.
2: Hey Travis, uh, yes. could I just talk a little bit about that loan option? Because we did that this past year, right? So, you know, when you're talking to your constituents about this issue, permanent base adjust and expenditure limitations, sounds very bureaucratic and boring and most people are gonna be like, why are we even talking about this? Well, the reality is, you know, probably in your world you'd compare it to what's in your savings account versus borrowing money so if someone had five million dollars in their bank account and they wanted to build a performing arts center or fix a road or bring on a new set of circumstances whatever that program may be so let's just you'd build a new road versus build a performing arts center versus remodeling existing facilities so you could take five million out of your savings account or you can go borrow when you have the five million dollars in your savings so you'll pay an extra two three four five hundred thousand dollars in interest that's what we're currently doing and we can do that forever and that's what some bigger cities have decided it's cost of doing business if the voters don't want to approve the city spending the money out of its savings account well then the cost of doing business because you may elect to build a new performing arts center you may elect To build a new road and then you can decide to borrow that money so it's not the best prudent fiscal management right when we're basically paying maybe hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in interest on a project that we could simply take the money out of our savings account so we can't can't do it and we won't be able to do it next year and we see this problem moving forward in perpetuity the city is growing We've grown our general fund reserve to the highest it's ever been in the city's history, some $40 million and growing. You'll see in the audit later tonight that we added another $2.5 million to our reserves. And so for you as council members, you might say to Robert, let's budget for that. Let's get that done. He's gonna tell you we're bumping up an expenditure limitation. We can add the project, but with this limitation, the only way around it is we must borrow. So that's what we'll be bringing to you in May. We can't design our budget just assuming the voters will pass this. We're gonna design a budget assuming the voters will not pass this and that we will in fact be borrowing. And I don't say that to to scare anyone or create conflict. It's just simply the fact that, you know, we're creating a general fund reserve. We work really hard to bring in economic development and, and people spend money in our community hoping to have good roads and good facilities not necessarily thinking that that money can't be spent on the projects that the council would like to see in the budget so that's the reality of where we're at and and I know Travis didn't want to oversell that issue but I think we just have to understand there is a way around it and it's simply borrowing our way out of it but since I've worked for all of you none of you would say to me well that's a good prudent fiscal thing to say when you're sitting on you know all this money in the bank that you could spend on those projects so that's where we find ourselves today and what travis is offering is a solution a solution that you would then put on the ballot and the voters would have the chance to say if they agree with or not so i i just wanted to stress a little bit more that we're not shutting city hall down we're just going to be coming back to you asking to borrow more money that's all
9: thank you Toby. all right next slide please So I, I wanted to lay out the permanent base adjustment process for you. So basically, um, what, uh, tonight I wanted to share this information with you. You'll take it in. Um, maybe you have some questions, some notes. And then we'll come back next meeting so you can make a determination if yes, if you wanted to go forward to the voters and let them decide. Um, and then um, it'll go. If you say yes, you want the voters to decide, it'll go to the voters. Voters will, uh, you know, they'll cast their ballot and make a decision, and then if it's approved, then you have a permanent base adjustment. Um, and then, like as Toby kind of explained, then we don't have to come to, to you and ask, hey, can we go out and do a bond, or can we borrow money for these items? Our budget, our, our, uh, our limit will now align with what our revenues are, our expenses, and our service needs. So, next slide. But I also wanted to share with you, now there is another option, and I I just, this isn't the option we're presenting tonight, but I think it's important that you're aware of everything that's out there. There's another option called a home rule adjustment. Now the home rule adjustment requires you to do two hearings, and then uh, the council makes a decision, should it go to the voters? It goes to the voters, voters decide. Now if the voters do approve it, that goes into effect for four years. Uh, so you you get an adjustment for four years, and then you have to bring it back to the voters again and let them decide if they want to keep the adjustment or if they don't want it and they want it to revert back to that original 1980 base number um, uh, or 1984 base number. Um, So it's basically a cycle. It just comes back every four years, and you have to go through this process. So typically, that particular uh, approach is more so if you have a one-off item or a big project, you need kind of some more uh, funding to take care of, and it may not be long-term. For us, we didn't bring that option to you because we feel like, our city's growth and where we're at, we need a permanent base adjustment. But again, like I said, we wanted you to be aware of it so, it's, uh, so you know what all the options are. Next slide, please. Um, I wanted to share this with you. You probably can't see this too well on the screen, but you can see it on your handout, your printouts. Um, this is just all the cities, it's a list of all the cities that have done permanent base adjustments, home rules, or they haven't done anything at all since 1980. Um, of all the cities, there's 91 cities on this list. Uh, 40 have done the home rule. 43 have done the permanent base adjustment, and there's still there's eight cities remaining who haven't done anything. They're still on their original, uh, their original base uh, figure from 1980. So, uh, and the other thing of note, most of the cities are doing the permanent base adjustment, and I just heard from the League of Cities and Towns that they have some home rule cities that are looking at going to the permanent base adjustment. So not many cities left that haven't done an adjustment. Uh, Most of them are smaller and just don't have much development at this time. Um, But we are one of the remaining eight in that bunch. Next slide, please. Okay, so here is the uh, proposed limit. Um, as we showed you before, our current limit is at uh, sixty million, one hundred seventy-eight thousand, eight hundred thirty-one dollars. So, what we're proposing, and the way this works, is you actually propose you propose an adjustment to the permanent to the base. So that base number, you ask them to change that, and then it goes to this calculated this formula. So, as we mentioned before, our base is that five million number we said okay we'd like to add put a 10 million dollars on top of that and then it goes to that calculation and then at, at the bottom right there you see what the new adjusted number would be um, so Robert did some calculations and looked at this to kind of see what made the most sense so he'll speak to that in just a moment but one of the things I want to note is we actually we looked at Kingman and Lake Havasu who have both if you saw on the previous list both have done adjustments the permanent base adjustments um, I, I probably I think it's been about two three years uh, since they did their adjustments but both of them are right around that same figure um, right around I think they did about nine million uh, 9.5 million to their base. So we're kind of we're really close to what they did um, and what their their limits are if we do this adjustment. so Robert, you want to give a little detail on that?
10: Sure we wanted to look at. You know in the future and kind of project out the expenses that the city's going and so we I kind of looked at it a few different ways we looked at if we take our current expenditure of roughly 75 million dollars of the cap plus what we borrowed for this year um, and increase about 3% every year and we will in 20 years we'd be at 136 million if it's a five percent increase we'll be at this cap limit in 16 years one of the things we we discovered in talking to a handful of other cities all throughout the state that have gone through this process is a lot of them their biggest regret was not putting their limit up high enough and having to go through this process again several years later so we wanted to make sure we looked at a number that would fit for the city in the long term Uh, We all know that there's a lot of growth coming to the city and, you know, needing the additional expenditures for roads and utilities and those types of things. We wanted to make sure we gave ourselves enough space uh, with this cap that we wouldn't have to come back to council and to the voters to go through this. Uh, We did look at a couple other numbers of adjusting the base to see where that would put us. Uh, If we only increased it another 5 million, That put the cap at about 114 million, and as you saw, we're we're spending. You know, we budgeted about 130 million this year. Uh, Seven million dollar increase to the base amount would put it to about 137 million. So we wanted to make sure we gave ourselves enough room for growth that that we foresee coming over the next handful of years.
9: Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. Um, Next slide, please. So just a few quick facts to kind of uh, uh, about the PBA. So really it's about local control of city budget. Again, that limit is set by the state, um, you know, and they look at things, um, like I said, inflation, they look at the population growth, but they don't really have the ability to look on the ground and see the things that are going on in relation to how our city is developing, how it's growing from different areas and aspects so it makes more sense to put this in the hands of the city and also you as in the budget process to make a determination on what should should be spent Um, I think it's important to note that this isn't a tax increase Um, it's not a new tax in any way shape or form it's just again aligning that limit with what our our service needs our capital needs Um, And then, again, putting it in in your hands in the budget process. I think it's also important to note that it's not a mechanism for deficit spending. Sometimes people hear that and they think, oh, you want to spend what you don't have. This isn't about that. It's about spending the revenue that we do have in a responsible way. Um, And then deficit spending, that's not even an option because we're not allowed to do that. We're going to always bring you a balanced budget when we come forward. Next slide, please. also there's a a few safeguards i also wanted to mention Um, what we're already doing we'll continue to do regardless whether you know you say move this forward or not Um, we're always going to have the annual budget process Uh, robert and the staff do a fantastic job looking at what the city needs and what its ability is to pay for things so we'll still go through that process where you get to make that determination Uh, for those large purchases we still have council reviews for those expenditures Um, and then as you'll hear more about the annual external audit, uh, we go through that audit process. This is uh, where we're at in relation to our spending and our cap levels is a is a significant piece of that audit that uh, they look for and make sure we're, we're right where we should be in relation to that. Um, we also have the mandatory reserve balance. So even as Toby mentioned, you know, it, it seems to make more sense to spend the money you have as opposed to taking out loans. We're not spending into that reserve balance. Robert, what do we, we uh, the mandatory is what, uh, is it 15,
10: uh, 15%? So the Government Finance Officers Association recommends a minimum 15% reserve. And what that means is um, your reserves versus your operating expenses. Um, the city, we have it set at 25% and we're operating around 75%. So we're, we have about three times more the required reserves than is on the higher side of the recommended amount.
9: Yeah, so even if you raise that level, uh, you authorize us to move forward, we're still going to continue with that policy going above and beyond the standard to make sure that the, rever- the reserve balance is what it should be. Um, And then again, Robert does a great job with doing thorough financial reviews to make sure he's uh, tracking what our spending is and then also projecting and looking for what's gonna be down the road to make sure we have uh, sufficient revenue to cover everything. All right, next slide, please so just a r- quick recap again uh, you don't have to decide anything tonight but it's a, it's an information sharing session opportunity for questions but we'll come back later down the road And there's two things uh, you're gonna need to decide one of course uh, can we move forward to the voters and uh, um, and put this on the ballot and let the voters make a decision um, the second item is the win so and when you do this, you got two options. You can put it on the ballot for the primary, which will be in July, or you can put it on the ballot for the general election, which will be in November. Um, so you'll, you'll, be, you'll, you'll determine that. Now, a couple things that come to mind. Um, with the primary, uh, we have a history of, in our local uh, session, we usually, there's no runoffs usually, so a lot of times our voting is wrapped up Uh, would be wrapped up at the primary. There's No guarantee for that, but it could be. So what you're talking about is if you take it to the general, you possibly could be paying for another election or another voting process that might not be necessary to pay for. Um, Now, there's the other side of that coin where some people think more people come out to the general, uh, so you might have more voters, more opportunity for people to express their opinion so it really is kind of up to you to determine that Um, we were proposing the primary surely because of the the potential cost savings but um, that's one of the items that you all will decide at the next uh, next meeting Uh, next slide please and uh, last slide i just want to give you a quick uh, summary of next steps if you if you ask us to move this forward So if you you do say that, we'll submit a proposition to the state, um, and then we'll begin the community education and outreach. We need to submit an analysis to the Auditor General, and that's really for them to look at our uh, figures and make sure everything is accurate and makes sense to what we're proposing. Um, And then we need to submit a public pamphlet to the Auditor General, and the auditor will look that over and make sure everything is uh, is, um, as it should be and meets all the requirements. And then Sue will have to have early ballots available on this. And then next, we'll distribute publi- the publicity pamphlets. Um, and then we'll hold the election. And the voters will decide. And then if the voters do choose to say, OK, yes, we, we support this. We think it sh- um, you should raise that limit. Um, and then we notify the Auditor General. And then it moves forward from there. Now, if it does get raised, it, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't happen for this coming budget cycle. The timing is just too close, so it would be fiscal year twenty-five, twenty-six, if it does get approved. So, with that being said, next slide. And uh, that is it for the presentation, um, and I stand for any questions.
0: I have any questions, just comments. Uh, when I first got on council, uh, what, 10 years ago? years ago yeah 10 years ago uh, i, I want to say our reserves are around 4 million if that much if my memory serves me which wouldn't have made sense back then we were just barely scraping by now it make doesn't make sense not to do this um we don't need to be taking paying high in, or even low interest loans period uh, when we have the money there and um, going forward we'll still stay a conservative uh council i don't want to deplete our uh our um, our funds but it doesn't make sense they're 40 million now what happens another 10 years from now we have 320 million in our reserves and we're taking loans makes no sense so this is a no-brainer to go forward on and uh, not, not my decision if it happens it's up to the voters but that's my opinion any questions or comments from Council Uh, Travis a couple
5: of questions what happens if it is passed Uh, what happens to the 40 million that's sitting in the
2: reserve I I can ask that so answer that I'm sorry Um, so our reserves continue to grow even though we met our balanced budget this year because we're building new homes which pay construction sales tax new residents add to the vibrancy of the economy Uh, more money is generated so from our 2% sales tax also from our state shared revenue so we project nest, next year and beyond that we'll continue to collect more revenue because of, of the growth and maturity of the local e- economics. So as Robert stated, we'll maintain our general fund reserve amount uh, at 25%. We'll never go below that. Right now, we're significantly higher than that. So we can spend some of that reserve. We can project to do that. Even in next year's budget, we could project to spend reserves the way to pay that back is through borrowing and paying high interest, five, 6% in today's environment on that money. Or we do nothing and simply you know, don't have the money to do projects that you all want us to do. That's the other option, as Travis put in his presentation, do nothing. So we'll continue to grow um, and, and hit that limit. And the only way around is by grants or borrowing. So it's not as if past this and we spend our savings account, our reserves, that just wouldn't happen because next year and years beyond we're also going to show anticipated growth of the local economy we've been very conservative on that um, and so when we say we'll grow three percent next year we could grow five six percent next year which brings in additional economics and economies and revenue to the city so the question directly what will happen to that reserve chances are in the next few years it'll stay around that 40 million dollar mark if not grow I agree with the mayor. I think this is, I I would like to see the
5: PVA move forward for sure. I also like to know, Mr. Cotter, what what exactly is the city's role in advocating for the passage of the vote?
2: Well, as we learned in the last election, um, our advocacy will be zero um, from a staff level. Um, Our our community doesn't wanna hear from staff how to vote, uh, which we still believe we didn't say that. We did put up a billboard that said local control uh, that caused all kinds of issues with APCOR and they took it all the way to the Attorney General so we'll be very careful not to advocate or even say anything about local control however we can educate we can talk to the public ab- about this just as Travis did today without advocating or given any inclination that we're advocating for it to pass um, that would be up to community groups or those who believe that it's the right thing to do To pass this, we could only show up at forums or be part of a publicity pamphlet to educate the public. Okay, yeah, I'd I'd like to see this move forward. Now, I'd I'd like to add to that a little
0: bit. You, as an individual, can advocate for or against it on your own time, any way you any way you see fit, Um, just not using city resources. All right, there's no more questions. We're getting down on time. Uh, Is there anybody from the from the uh, audience has any questions or comments?
2: okay not mayor um if we could though if you don't mind just a few more moments the issue of when when we bring the resolution forward at the next meeting or so because we're kind of if we're going to do it in the primary that did move up a week and so we've got to meet sue's deadlines so could she just talk to you briefly about what this means to put this on the ballot if in fact you're all kind of leaning that way and what it means to do either the primary or the general I don't want to bring it forward if all of you are thinking general and we suggest primary or vice versa so if you don't mind could sue kind of walk us through that and i could hear at least a little feedback from you all on the when
1: afternoon council what i thought i'd do is just give you an idea of the cost this year of each election and the publicity pamphlet Um, Historically, the council members have been elected in the primary elections. Um, We've always had a runoff for mayor, as far as I've been here. Um, You can keep that in mind.
0: We didn't last year.
1: Except for Mayor (laughs) (laughs) D'Amico. So, we're calculating this year that each election, primary and the general will be approximately $49,000. Now that's based on per voter, per active registered voter with the county. So, the, so if we had two elections, then our budget would be close to 100,000 for the two elections The publicity pamphlet includes tax, shipping and postage and the actual printing of the publicity pamphlet and that will be running about $17,000. So that will be the cost, um, whatever election you guys decide you wanna do, that will be the cost of the publicity pamphlet. The July election, of course, a lot of the voters may not be here in the summer, you might wanna keep that in mind the November election in, in November is also a presidential election. The ballot will be extremely long with st- uh, state and county propositions. Um, our proposition might get lost, but that's you know that's a trade-off between the l- less number of voters that may be voting. Another thing you might want to think of are the deadlines. The July 30th primary election, the deadlines will be a lot shorter. We would have to advertise for arguments in the publicity pamphlet at the beginning of March and then all arguments will be due uh, May 1st. So that will give the public time to submit arguments and staff or um, I'm not quite sure about the presentations that the city will be making to educate the public on this ballot issue. So that's another thing. If you wanted to think about having more time to educate the public, you might wanna think about the November ballot. And that's probably all that I had to offer to you, but I do have other information in in case you have additional questions.
0: I guess we could just briefly go down and see where everybody's at. I particularly would like to see it go to the general, more people vote during the general. Uh, you get more input, gives us more time to, to educate the public. That's just mine and we could just briefly go down the line where you'd like to
5: see it.
11: Well, I'm going to disagree with you. I I think the prim- the primary would probably be say a prime for this year because it is a general uh, because it is a presidential election.
7: Go with the primary, also.
12: I agree with the primary.
0: Uh, we don't even need any more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: So, so that being said, um, we probably need to come back at the next council meeting on March 5th and bring this item forward. You could still change your minds on that. The resolution can be modified by motion, but that's good input for us so that we can, you know, craft it with that in mind. All right. That's it. Uh,
0: We're going to take a, a break here, and we'll be back at 530 for our regular scheduled council meeting. Thank
13: you. North Mojave kicked off MCC Shines with music from local school children. The annual events on each campus are always a great time for community members and their families. Santa's the big draw for a lot of kids, as well as crafts, cookies, and other snacks. A huge thank you to all the employees and students who helped the communities ring in the holiday season with these great events. Speaking of great events, students and employees were a hit at the Bullhead City Boombox Parade. The annual Christmas season event is always a fun time. This year, the new Mobile Welding Lab made an appearance in the parade with employees and students dressed up as superheroes to help spread the word about the power of higher education. Keeping with the festive theme, the college student psychology club called Psyched Out held two gingerbread house decorating contests. The events were on the Kingman and Bullhead City campuses and community members, students, and employees put their building skills to the test. The overall winner was very happy. Congratulations to everyone. The Kingman Campus Art Club had a great time hosting its first Sosobra event. It's a tradition where people write down things that are troubling them and then burn them together to have them resolved so they can start fresh for the new year. Construction on the Mojave Village student housing project is moving along nicely at the Bullhead City Campus. Workers now have the framework complete with walls going up and they're putting in the windows. This is Northwestern Arizona's first on-campus student housing, and it's scheduled to be completed this coming summer, ready for students to move in as they prepare for fall semester. And you may have noticed the College Mojave Minutes newscast has been renamed the Bighorn Blast newscast. Be sure to head to mojave.edu to see the newscasts and upcoming Bighorn Blast podcasts. As always, stay up to date with college news and events on the college website and social media channels, And of course, if you have a story idea, send it to mcc at mojave.edu and you could see it right here on the next newscast.
1: city meetings held at 5 30
14: p.m. in the city council chambers. City council meetings are held every first and third Tuesday of the month. Planning and zoning meetings are held every first Thursday of the month and parks and recreation meetings are held every third Wednesday of the month. If you miss a meeting but you want to stay informed on your community all meetings can be watched on the city's website at www.bullheadcity.com.
12: Community Park is the ideal place for year-round outdoor activities, whether you're a local or just visiting. This picturesque park includes amenities such as a kid's playground, a dog park, and two ball fields. A recreational paradise, Community Park also offers almost a mile of free public beaches, with added covered ramadas that are available to the public. Visitors to the park can obtain information about our community from the Bullhead Area Chamber of Commerce or glance back into the history of the Tri-State with the Colorado River Historical Society Museum of Bullhead City. No matter your age, Community Park has something for everyone, so come on out and enjoy!
15: For a great weekend, consider reserving one of Rotary Park's 28 medium and small ramadas for a great day and barbecue in the park right along the beach. Those looking for a venue to host a large party or gathering should consider one of Rotary's two large ramadas, each equipped with power and water. Rotary Park is located at 2315 Balboa Drive in Bullhead City and is open from 4.30am to 11pm
16: daily. Hello, my name is John Traquato, and I work for the City of Bullhead City in the Wastewater Division. I'm here to remind you and to stress that there are only three things that should be disposed of in the sewer system. One, human waste, two, toilet paper, and three, gray water. Please do not flush any disposable or non-disposable wipes, baby wipes, paper towels, napkins, or any other paper or non-paper products as this will cause a major sewer backup. And when I say major sewer backup, this is what I mean. This is our drying bed, and this is, um, our trucks pump this out, clean it out of the sewer lines, and they come here and dump. And what it's supposed to be is basically grease and human waste. And as you can see, it is more than that. We have wipes, we have plastic bag, razors, pencils, candy wrappers. Screw, pieces of styrofoam. There's just a piece of plastic. Hundreds and hundreds of tampon plastic applicators that should be thrown in the trash, never down the sewer. This, these clumps of stuff here that we're looking at, the white and the green stuff that you are seeing, is baby wipes, wipes, and paper. It plugs our pumps, and then it's labor in pulling the pump and labor in diagnosing it. We have to send it out to a company when it burns up the pump and we're talking minimum forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 of taxpayers' dollars that can be avoided very easily.
15: With over 300 acres of space, six softball fields, a baseball field, Firebird football field, Eight lighted pickleball courts, a lighted tennis court, lighted basketball courts, a lighted skate park, a nine-hole regulation disc golf course, a beach volleyball court, five kilometers of hard surface walking and biking trail, and enough soccer fields to host over 200 teams in one location, Rotary Park is Bullhead City's premier outdoor sports destination. Rotary Park is located at 2315 Balboa Drive in Bullhead City and is open from 4.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. daily.
17: City of Bullhead has contracted with Republic Services for the collection, transportation, and disposal of solid waste for the residents and businesses located within the city limits. Remember that blue carts and green carts are now both trash bins as residential recycling is discontinued throughout the city. Republic Services will be collecting trash Monday through Thursday. Monday's service area includes the general area of Silver Creek Road north, including the areas on the west side of Highway 95 between Silver Creek and Raymar Road. Monday's service will also include the area surrounding the airport, McCormick Road, and both subdivisions on the north side of Highway 68. Tuesday's service area includes the area west of Highway 95 between Hancock Road and Riverview Drive all the way to the Colorado River plus the Chaparral Terrace subdivision. Wednesday's service area includes Riviera area from Hancock Road north to the Colorado River as well as the area south of Raymar Road to Mojave Drive. Thursday's service area includes Chaparral Golf Course, Fox Creek, Arroyo Vista, and Clearwater Hills. Under the current agreement with Republic Services, residents are allowed six bulky item pickups per year. To schedule or learn more about the services, visit the city's website at bullheadcity.com and navigate to the Community tab, then to Trash, Recycling, and Bulky Item Pickups. If you have questions concerning trash and recycling or to schedule a bulky item pickup, please contact Republic Services at 928-758-0000.
15: Rotary Park is the home of two annual AYSO soccer tournaments, three annual pickleball tournaments, four annual 5K races, and a different softball or baseball tournament almost every weekend of the year. The the city has done tremendous things with Rotary Park with the addition of pickleball courts. In addition to major annual tournaments, Rotary Park accommodates several city and youth recreational leagues throughout the year. We have 55 acres of quality fields that are lit. We are kind of the premier Um, sports tourism hub because we have not only the facilities, but we also have the hotel rooms. Rotary Park also offers many other great amenities for locals and visitors to enjoy. Over one mile of free public beaches at Rotary Park lie right along the Colorado River and are enjoyed year-round by swimmers, boaters, fishermen, and more. There's also a motorized and non-motorized boat dock, as well as a fishing jetty and fish cleaning station. Rotary Park is located at 2315 Balboa Drive in Bullhead City and is open from 4.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. daily.
18: Hello and welcome to Bullhead City, Arizona, a beautiful community on the Colorado River. I'm Tom Brady and I'm privileged to serve as the mayor of this rapidly growing city. Bullhead City welcomes thousands of visitors to our community each year for special events and to enjoy the Colorado River, Lake Mojave, and city recreational amenities. I invite you to visit us through these online videos and then come and see for yourself what makes Bullhead City such a popular destination.
11: They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Here in Bullhead City, that statement is really true. Nestled along the Colorado River at the point where Arizona, California, and Nevada meet, every view of Bullhead City is a postcard. Bullhead City is the economic and retail shopping hub for all of Mojave County and Southeastern Clark County, Nevada region. More than 3 million people travel through Bullhead City every year to enjoy our warm weather and even warmer hospitality. Bullhead City hosts many special events throughout the year. We have just over 40,000 residents who get to enjoy all Bullhead City has to offer all year round. Come visit Bullhead City to see how you too can enjoy this paradise in the desert. Bullhead City is a rich recreational playground with amenities for the whole family to enjoy. Bullhead City's beauty provides the perfect backdrop for enjoying a day of hiking, off-roading, swimming, or just relaxing in one of the many parks in the community. The warm temperatures allow outdoor activities any day of the year. Outdoor lovers can choose between the cool, fast-flowing Colorado River Or the warm smooth waters of Lake Mojave for water sports like boating, water skiing, personal watercraft, and sports fishing throughout the year. Special events as the Splash Bash provides locals with extra excitement throughout the year. Many sports tournaments also provide an increase in recreation and in tourism for city residents and visitors. Bullhead City is a vibrant, prosperous area where building and growth flourish. The Laughlin-Bullhead International Airport continues to grow. In the last 10 years, we've added over 1 million square feet of retail space with every major retailer reporting better than expected sales. With many more national name brand stores continuing to take advantage of the friendly business environment and the experienced and knowledgeable workforce. Shopping locally is easier than ever before. Bullhead City is serious about bringing new and expanding businesses to the tri-state area. We promise to make every effort to ease your transition. We offer several incentives to new qualified retail startups and will facilitate the use of state incentives for new industries interested in relocating to our region. Visit Bullhead City today and see firsthand why we're one of Arizona's fastest growing cities and the retail hub of Mojave County. In Bullhead City, we take education seriously. That philosophy is evident by the wide range of learning opportunities we offer, from preschool through college. With low student to teacher ratios within the Bullhead City area, we have several elementary, middle schools and high schools, as well as charter and private schools offering after school learning programs, technical training and computer labs, sports and overall academics. Those interested in pursuing an advanced degree have a number of options to choose from. The Bullhead City campus of Mojave Community College is a two-year fully accredited public college with four campuses in Mojave County. And Northern Arizona University hosts a distant learning site through Mojave Community College, offering a variety of undergraduate and graduate degree programs. The community supports education and fosters an environment of community engagement. We think you'll agree, Bullhead City is a great place to learn. Bullhead City is known for its diversity of housing types and styles. From million-dollar homes on the Colorado River to existing site-built and manufactured housing and condominium projects, we have housing to suit any personality and budget. Baby boomers from across America relocate to Bullhead City because of its affordability. In fact, Bullhead City is one of the most affordable cities in Arizona. New subdivisions are being built throughout the community offering magnificent views of the Black Mountains, Laughlin Casinos, and the Mojave Desert. Local developers, brokers, and real estate agents are here to help make your move convenient and affordable. A large selection of rental housing is also available in the area. From traditional single-family homes to mobile homes, condos, RV park spaces, and apartment complexes offering amenities like pool spa areas, workout facilities, and clubhouses there is a rental option for everyone. Come to Bullhead City. We promise you feel at home from the first hello. Bullhead City is like being on vacation all year long with 365 days of warm desert sunshine. We are an outdoor lover's paradise with parks and playgrounds, municipal swimming pool, fields and many other organized sports facilities. There's a community spirit here that can't be found in larger cities. We treasure our neighbors and treat strangers as friends. We breathe fresh clean air and enjoy a rush hour free commute. Bullhead City's great personality and abundance of natural resources provide a wealth of opportunities for people of all ages, including a public library, diverse restaurants, several golf courses, health fitness centers, and many first-class resorts in our sister city of Laughlin, Nevada. From simple pleasures to nights on the town, there's a lot to like in Bullhead City, Arizona.
18: City ordinance, all operators of rented personal watercraft, PWCs, are required to wear wristbands, signifying they have watched and understand this safety video in its entirety, and they have signed the Consumer Protection Form attesting to that fact. Failure to wear the wristband, watch this video, or sign the Consumer Protection Form prior to operating a rented PwC may result in fines or other penalties.
19: Hello. I'm Chief Robert Treves of the Bullhead City Police Department. Each summer, thousands of people come to our area to enjoy the Colorado River and many, like you, take to our waters on a rental watercraft. Unfortunately for some, the day is ruined when they are involved in a watercraft accident. Many of these accidents can be avoided by learning and practicing simple boating safety rules. We produce the following video to teach you these rules and help you have a safe, enjoyable experience on the Colorado River.
18: Personal watercraft, or PWCs, are performance watercraft capable of thrilling speeds and maneuvers. They are not toys, and they can be highly dangerous if used improperly. All riders are legally required to operate their PWC in a responsible manner. When traveling above a wakeless speed, riders must maintain at least 60 feet between themselves and other watercraft. Turning sharply to spray another PWC, boat, or someone on the beach is dangerous and illegal. Be aware of other boats around you. Avoid crisscrossing in front of other boaters and blocking their view. Remember, your PWC is capable of making very fast turns. Look around you before you turn. Don't surprise other boaters with sudden or unpredictable maneuvers. Jumping wakes or other boats is also very dangerous and against the law. Just like on the road, there's a pattern to the traffic on the river. It's counterclockwise. An easy way to remember this is to always keep the shore to your right. When approaching another watercraft head-on, both watercraft should turn to their right. This will allow both boats to pass safely. When approaching another boat to the side, the boat on the right has the right-of-way. But remember, when leaving the shore, let the boats in the traffic pattern go by first. They have the right-of-way in this circumstance. Sometimes you may want to pass a slower moving watercraft. Passing on the left or right side is legal as long as you leave enough room between watercraft to pass safely. Most people are used to being passed on the left in a car, so that may be the safer option. Pass far enough away so that your wake doesn't create a hazard for the other boat. If you're being passed, make sure that you don't turn into the path of the passing boat. While being passed, always maintain your direction and speed. During the summer months, ocean certified lifeguards patrol the river on PWCs and walk the beach of community park. You can identify them by their bright neon yellow uniforms. Lifeguards on the river have the authority to issue commands and warnings to members of the public to keep everyone safe. The lifeguards are there for your safety and will respond to your aid in case of an emergency. Personal watercraft or PWCs are performance watercraft and should be handled with respect. Here are some PWC-specific safety considerations. PWCs are fast-moving, agile watercraft. Protect yourself by wearing goggles, gloves, and footwear. Stay away from the intake grate at the bottom of the PWC. Loose life jacket straps, bathing suits, or long hair can be sucked into the jet. Avoid being behind the water jet nozzle, especially when the throttle is applied. The water jet can throw rocks or debris and injure you. Do not apply the throttle when someone is in the water behind you. Before operating a personal watercraft, make sure your PWC lanyard is attached to either your wrist or your life jacket. This will kill the engine and prevent your PWC from taking off without you if you fall. Everyone on a PWC must wear a properly fitted life jacket. A life jacket that's too big or too small will not keep you safe in the water. Your rental company will help you select the proper sized jacket. Taking a passenger with you to enjoy the experience is a great way to spend the day. All passengers should be seated behind the operator. Make sure that all passengers feet can reach the bottom of the foot trough. All passengers should be strong enough to hold on to the operator or the seat strap. Don't place small children in front of the operator. Learn how to properly write a turned over PwC. If not done properly, it can severely damage the PwC. Make sure you are physically up to writing your PwC. Although you don't plan on overturning your craft, you may end up in the water. Writing an overturned PwC in river currents can be strenuous. Your rental company can give you instructions on how to do so properly. Whether you've fallen off or jumped in, you'll need to get back onto your PWC. The most stable way to do so is from the rear. Remember, there are no brakes and no off throttle steering. Give yourself plenty of time to avoid hazards and don't outride your experience. Ask your rental company for details on operating the model you've rented and a demonstration on the water. There are areas on the river where you'll need to slow down, including several no-wake zones. Areas near a marina or any launch ramp are no-wake zones. Wake is the trail of white water and waves that follow a quickly moving vessel. While in a no-wake zone, slow down so that no-wake is behind your watercraft. Going downstream, this is easy. Going upstream is a bit more challenging, but slow speeds can and must be maintained. Operators should be aware that the area south of the community park boat launch is a no-wake zone. The beaches in the Bullhead City, Laughlin area are very crowded with many people swimming and wading in the water. Use extra caution while operating a watercraft near crowded beaches. People swimming near these beaches can be hard to see and avoid. Anytime you're in a congested area, slow down for the safety of everyone and to avoid a collision. There are also areas on the river where watercraft are not permitted at all. The swim beach at Community Park is a location designated for swimmers to enjoy the water without risk of injury from watercraft and is marked by a line of buoys. The area of the Colorado River just south of the Davis Dam is blocked off for all swimmers and watercraft by a bright orange barrier. Do not attempt to enter these areas with a PwC. Not only is it illegal to do so, but it's also dangerous and can cause significant damage to your PwC. The river environment has some inherent dangers that all operators should be aware of. Docks along the edge of the river can be a significant hazard. Swift currents can pull your watercraft into the docks, dangerously lodging you against them. Steer clear of docks along the river. Likewise, stay away from the bridge abutments. In any waterway, there are varying water depths. The Colorado River's clear water can make judging the water depth difficult. Stay clear of areas where the water appears to be a dark brown color. These areas are typically shallow waters. The depth of the Colorado River is affected by geography, weather, and the water release schedule of the Davis Dam. When the dam releases more water, the river levels rise, making the river deeper and safer for navigating a PWC. When the dam releases less water, the river becomes shallower, making conditions more hazardous for operating a PWC. As a general rule, water levels will be highest towards the middle of the day and lowest in the early morning and late evening. The current release schedule for the Davis Dam can always be found on the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation website. Only operate a PWC when the water levels are sufficient for safe operation the swift currents can affect how your watercraft will respond an inexperienced operator could lose control or have their PWC turned over do not make sudden turns or movements in areas of strong currents Bullhead City is known as Arizona's hottest destination Summer temperatures can exceed 110 degrees Fahrenheit. On a watercraft, you're directly exposed to summer sun. While getting in the river is a great way to cool off, you must remember to hydrate. Water is your best bet. Drink water before you feel thirsty, and remember to wear sunblock. Summers also bring in monsoonal activity. These are quick-moving thunderstorms with very high winds. Pay attention to the water around you. If you see storm activity, have a plan to quickly return to a safe area. If you see lightning or hear thunder, get off the water. Lightning can travel many miles away from storm clouds. Being out on the water and in the sun can compound the effects of alcohol and or drugs. Boating while intoxicated is not just unsafe, it's illegal. Operating a watercraft under the influence carries fines and jail time just like a DUI on the road. We encourage you to have a designated operator anytime you go boating.
19: Thank you for taking the time to watch this video. It is our goal to help you avoid tragedy by being an educated and safe operator. I encourage you to continue your education by taking boating safety courses. There are several great options to choose from online. Thank you and stay safe.
20: Hi, I'm Kim Cool, Senior Services Program Manager for Bullhead City and I'd like to tell you about the senior campus. The senior campus is a hot spot for active individuals ages 50 plus. We offer daily activities including various exercise classes like Zumba, eccentrics, commonly known as aging backwards, body moves for brain power, arthritis pain exercise, fall prevention classes, relaxation and mindfulness exercise and chair exercise if you're creative or would just like to learn we've got lots to offer with beading crocheting knitting sewing quilting painting drawing classes and card making perhaps you're a game player well don't worry we've got you covered with bingo pinnacle poker hand and foot pass the trash bunko. Mexican Train, and Skipbo. There's also computers, puzzles, games, books, videos, and DVDs to keep you entertained. Many people just need support or resources, and we're your hub for giving you the contacts you need. Plus, we offer meetings to include veterans benefits, Medicare information, technology tutoring, document preparation assistance, men's support group, caregiver support, bereavement support for those recovering from loss, cancer support, Gamblers Anonymous, dementia education, and amputee support. There are just so many opportunities for making new friends by attending our parties, ice cream socials, line dancing, karaoke, monthly birthday celebration, and happy hour. Most importantly, We make sure you're educated through monthly Lunch and Learns and our free mini-clinic. You owe it to yourself to come in and check us out. Perhaps during our Monday through Friday Nutritious Congregate Lunch. Lunches are served at 11.30 and last lunch is at noon, with a suggested donation of $3 from those age 60 and above or disabled individuals and $4 to those who are under 60. All this said, the senior campus also extends our reach with the Meals on Wheels program delivering lunches and a wellness check to many area seniors who are homebound. Plus, we are home to the Angels Essential area where individuals can shop freely for durable medical equipment donated by our local community. If you have any questions, please call 928 763 0193 or stop in to see us at 2275 train road here in bullhead city we are located off highway 95 between marina boulevard and hancock road right next to city hall
6: we've had many many problems you've heard me talking about the wipes and and the flushable wipes that are really not flushable Uh, we've had to replace two or three uh, pumps at the beginning of that plant to a cost of about forty thousand dollars a piece, uh, just about every year.
13: First up, student success stories top off the winter season, starting with recent pinning ceremonies across the college campuses.
12: We are not meant to be boring here, okay? So I need to hear some noise. Let's. Hear-
13: nursing assistant registered nursing phlebotomy and paramedic students were honored for successfully completing their programs friends family and college employees were on hand to congratulate the students these pinning ceremonies are always fun and emotional as they mark a significant moment in life graduating from college and moving into a professional career and for some continuing their pursuit of a higher degree the Phi Theta Kappa Honor Society inducted more outstanding students this winter The city's vice mayor helped the Kingman chapter welcome 50 new members. Students are invited to join Phi Theta Kappa if they have a cumulative GPA of 3.5 and have earned at least 12 credit hours, or if they're in a professional skills certificate program and have earned six credit hours. For more information about the PTK Honor Society, contact the office of your local campus dean of student and community engagement. A great day at the Kingman campus as the pond restoration was completed and now open to the public. President Klippenstein noted the great teamwork by Associate Dean of Instruction Dr. Tanya Jackson and the college facilities team for their hard work to make this project a success.
5: So I wanted to say special thanks to her and to our facility staff, again, there's some around here for all of this incredible work. So if you can get Dr. Jackson and our team
13: A bench at the pond was also dedicated to former MCC employee and Kingman Rotary member Dan Messersmith. He passed away in October of 2022. The bench in his honor was made by the college welding program and painted by the college auto collision program. North Mojave kicked off MCC shines with music from local school children. The annual events on each campus are always a great time for community members and their families. Santa's the big draw for a lot of kids, as well as crafts, cookies, and other snacks. A huge thank you to all the employees and students who helped the communities ring in the holiday season with these great events. Speaking of great events, students and employees were a hit at the Bullhead City Boombox Parade. The annual Christmas season event is always a fun time. This year, the new Mobile Welding Lab made an appearance in the parade with employees and students dressed up as superheroes to help spread the word about the power of higher education. Keeping with the festive theme, the college student psychology club called Psyched Out held two gingerbread house decorating contests. The events were on the Kingman and Bullhead City campuses and community members, students, and employees put their building skills to the test. The overall winner was very happy. Congratulations to everyone. The Kingman Campus Art Club had a great time hosting its first Sosobra event. It's a tradition where people write down things that are troubling them and then burn them together to have them resolved so they can start fresh for the new year. Construction on the Mojave Village student housing project is moving along nicely at the Bullhead City Campus. Workers now have the framework complete with walls going up and they're putting in the windows. This is Northwestern Arizona's first on-campus student housing, and it's scheduled to be completed this coming summer, ready for students to move in as they prepare for fall semester. And you may have noticed the College Mojave Minutes newscast has been renamed the Bighorn Blast newscast. Be sure to head to mojave.edu to see the newscasts and upcoming Bighorn Blast podcasts. As always, stay up to date with college news and events on the college website and social media channels. And of course, if you have a story idea, send it to mcc at mojave.edu and you could see it right here on the next newscast.
1: City meetings held at
14: 5 30 p.m. in the city council chambers. City council meetings are held every first and third Tuesday of the month. Planning and zoning meetings are held every first Thursday of the month and parks and recreation meetings are held every third Wednesday of the month. If you miss a meeting but you want to stay informed on your community, all meetings can be watched on the city's website at www.bullheadcity.com.
12: Community Park is the ideal place for year-round outdoor activities, whether you're a local or just visiting. This picturesque park includes amenities such as a kid's playground, a dog park, and two ball fields. A recreational paradise, Community Park also offers almost a mile of free public beaches, with added covered ramadas that are available to the public. Visitors to the park can obtain information about our community from the Bullhead Area Chamber of Commerce. Or glance back into the history of the Tri-State with the Colorado River Historical Society Museum of Bullhead City. No matter your age, Community Park has something for everyone. So come on out and enjoy!